please enter room 2008. favorite podcast room 2008 is back live we have me drunel aka phil adelphia since we are talking about the philadelphia experiment tonight and we have with us the man behind the philadelphia experiment not al belick but al belicked hey phil (laughs) how you doing buddy and we also have the man himself down there in the basement mr rabbit hole aka joe sliden yep it's joe sliden today i'm here slipping and sliding (laughs) Go ahead and get this shit out of the way. Follow us on Twitter, Room2008ENT2, the number two. Uh, shoot us an email, Room2008ENT at gmail.com. We have a library of episodes at this point. We've had pilots on the show talking about Flat Earth. We've had, um, I don't know if, if Cole, is what's his position in the church? Is, he's, uh, is he a pastor? He was a theologian. Yes, we've had theologians on the show talking about biblical perspectives of flat Earth. Uh, we go over, you know, whenever the moon stuff, uh, haunting stuff in October. We got a whole archive back there, a whole Vatican archive of episodes. So uh, listen to them, shoot us some emails, uh, and we'll read some on the show. There's but nothing we that, can't cover. There's nothing we can't cover. That's right. <laughs> It'd be funny just to like read a bunch of hate emails. Just <laughs> bring them on the I show. I wish we had hate emails. <laughs> don't worry we'll, we'll eventually get them it'd be yeah. cool to have some hate emails i kind of want to set the stage for the uh for set what it, it is set the table it's a long it's a long uh it's a long story and it goes into our last episode so as we were doing research on our last episode which was the uh the montauk uh project which fed off the uh, series of the stranger things episodes and uh, all that fun stuff it actually started with the philadelphia experiment and the set the stage it was, uh, it was it 1943, USS Eldridge. So they literally, in a nutshell, and I'll read the, uh, the, the summary of it, but just think about a battleship out in, uh, out in the bay in the Philadelphia Navy Yard set up with a whole bunch of Tesla coils and literally ran a test to get it off the radar, and it ended up jumping uh, in a time warp. And so it's it's hard to believe on the surface but there is so much information on this so many details it's almost like the people that wrote the book are saying hey this is kind of crazy so you know you don't have to believe it it's a good story but here are all the details of how it was done here's the equipment we use here's how many you know uh, um el tubes or uh, what kind of tubes they use anyways so i mean they laid it out and they even gave manuals on how this all worked so um, there's a link, which I guess, you know, since we're live, we won't really put out, but there's a way to access this. Um, it's actually called uh, the Montauk Project Experiments in Time. There's a book about it by Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon. Yeah, I'll, in- uh, I'll post this on our Twitter after the episode if anyone's interested. It's, it's 84 pages, but uh, go ahead, Lance. Yeah, so to kind of get into it, the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Experiment was known as the Rainbow Project. To those who manned and operated it, it was designed as a top secret, huh? What timing? The Rainbow Project. (laughs) (laughs) Target. (laughs) Could have done this episode like two days ago or whatever. Target's fucked. So uh, it was designed as a top secret project that would help end World War II. The forerunner of today's stealth technology, the Rainbow Project, was experimenting with a technique to make a ship invisible to enemy radar. This was done by creating an electromagnetic bottle. And we'll kind of explain that. That's about the, that's about as much as I know about it in terms of being able to describe, but which actually diverted radar waves around the ship An electromagnetic bottle changes the entire electromagnetic field of a specific area. In this case, the field encompassing USS Eldridge, while the objective was to simply make 
undetectable by radar and had a totally unexpected and drastic side effect. Uh, it made the ship invisible to the naked eye and removed it from space and time continuum. The ship suddenly reappeared in Norfolk, Virginia, hundreds of miles away. The project was a success from a material standpoint, but it was a drastic catastrophe to the people involved. Uh, literally, people were, uh, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll go into that. They were all messed up physically and mentally. So uh, while we scroll up here, it's just, uh, have you read this whole thing, uh, Philadelphia? Yeah, uh, I've read this. I've listened to um, Al Bielik was actually on the art bill, uh, Coast to Coast, back in 93 or 4. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, basically told the whole story on it. Very, very technical. Um, a lot of it goes over your head because this guy gets into the mathematics behind how it's done, the physics behind how it's done, all that good stuff. Um, also, I think we may have mentioned this last episode. I don't remember if we were on air or not. Uh, Tubi has several good uh, shows or movies about yeah. the Philadelphia Experiment. Um, one of them is Al Bielik actually giving a presentation uh, to a group of people, and he draws out, uh, you, you know, to help kind of visualize how it happened. So um, the information's out there. It's very, very interesting. So, did you see the movie from eighty seven? Eighty four. I, I watched the one from eighty four. Yeah. How was that? You did. Yeah, it was good. It was like they live, like your you know typical eighties. You know. You did watch movie. it. I thought you said you didn't watch it. I, no, I watched it. I watched the one from 84. I didn't watch the one you were, you said there was like four different episodes or something. I yeah. The documentary. Yeah. I didn't watch that one, but oh, okay. um, well, the movie, the, the movie from 1984, Al Bielik actually said it's very accurate aside from the love, the love thing going on. Cause every Hollywood yeah. movie has to have a love story in it. He said, aside from that, it was very accurate, especially the beginning and the ending. So, <laughs> Dude, it was so, it was so pathetic to the way that the loves like love, uh, the idea was there literally he comes he, he he's he's uh, in a time where he's in the future meets this girl who's has her all of everything she owns in bags and she's like falling around and like you know just like falling in love with him like so desperate and he doesn't give a damn <laughs> he's just like <laughs> moving on and it's just so like i don't know it's just i guess an 80s movie whatever but um so but uh yeah so check out the show the philadelphia Exper uh, experiment uh, the actual movie. It's worth a watch. It's pretty good. I yeah, give it a I'll two out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, so while the USS Eldridge moved from the Philadelphia Naval Yard to Norfolk and back again, the crew found themselves in complete disorientation. They had left the physical universe and had no familiar surroundings to relate to. Upon their return to the Philadelphia Navy Yard, some were planted into the bulkheads of the ship. So like the movie portrays like literally people and this is in the uh so the movie like you were saying philadelphia um it's really close to what al uh, Bielik was saying like what actually happened and the people and it describes like people were basically built into the ship like cut in half and they were just sitting there they were basically like, baked into the ship and misery Fused on a molecular level yeah there was a guy that had his arm in the ship and they were able to you know like he was able to survive they cut off his arm gave him a prosthetic arm but there were people that were like halfway in the ship that didn't obviously survive. Yeah. Uh, and it goes into that. So hey, let me, um, I was going to yeah. say, before you go on, let me say this. Al Bielik actually um, is, he's not like a researcher for this. He was actually on it and participated in it. And apparently Al Bielik's not even his true identity. That's right. his post uh, post Philadelphia experiment identity. He was actually born in like 1916 or something like that. Um, because you know we'll, we'll go into kind of what happened or whatever, but uh, you know he's got like a PhD in physics from Harvard or or Yale or something, but under a different name because that was prior to the Philadelphia experiment. So now that he you know tra all this shit happened, he basically fast forwarded forty years in time, and uh, Al Bielik is actually his new identity, which is insane. There's so much shit that goes into this. Well, it's like any time warp movie. That goes, you know, uh, forward or backwards in time. You have all these complexities that you don't even think about, consider, uh, and this does cover it all. So it's really hard to for us to sit here and tell the story because it goes back and forth a lot. But um, but you get the idea. So the idea was to take this ship off radar, and it goes haywire, and literally jumps it. What, yeah, it wasn't. Miles. 
it wasn't just to take it off radar. It was to make it optically invisible as well. Not just radar invisible, but optically to where you literally could not see it. That was the original. The original point of it was to take it off radar. And then what had happened is during that first test, when they had all the ships beside the USS Eldridge, and it was named something else at the time, they had all the cables connected to the ship and it wasn't, uh, nobody was on the ship. And they did this um, experiment and the ship vanished, right? But they could see a hole in the water. And they wanted to somehow fix that because um, originally it was to take it off radar. Then they realized that it vanished. And they could still see the, the outline. The they could see the ship in the water. So then they were like, you know, so it was the whole idea was to take it off radar, which then they were like, oh, shit, we can literally make it invisible. How do we make it better invis- like, as, a, as an invisible ship? Because now you can see the hole in the water. And then um, they just kept pushing and kept pushing. So, uh, yeah, so um, trying to think here, the um, do we want to go into what they actually did to the boat? Yeah, we can. Let's see. I mean, Peter, just... what do you think about this so far? Uh, I read through it pretty intently, uh, watched some stuff about it, and, uh, I'm, you know, it's intriguing. Uh, there seems to be a lot of interesting eyewitness stuff that seems – uh, you know, fairly reliable. Uh, there's there there certainly is a lot of complexities to it. Uh, yeah. And and the more complexities, like yeah, there was a guy that uh, was writing all these uh, letters that were in gibberish and stuff like that, and he sounded crazy. But then some stuff from that turned out to be true, and uh, those uh, his letters were confiscated or something like that. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff about the story, like. Uh, I think there's some validity to it for real. Nice. Yeah. So when the, um, so when they did the actual experiment and all the, all the people on board were just messed up because they literally went through a different time and came back and they were mentally unfit. And it was, it was interesting that they said they were mentally unfit, having spent considerable time in rehabilitation and they were labeled mentally unfit and it made it very convenient for their stories to be discredited when they were trying to talk about what was happening and, yeah, they, but these, they truly were like messed up. And these were the ones that just survived, uh, having being fused with the bulkhead, right? And, and screaming themselves to death. So the story goes that Al Al Bielik and um, his his brother Cameron, which was it, Cameron Duncan. Yeah, yeah. So Cameron Duncan, and they were brothers. So let's call him by his first. It was a uh, I forget his first name, Duncan. They were brothers. They were inside the boat. So they were the ones that were controlling the equipment. They they had uh, plenty of background in Princeton and Harvard, uh, all these different, um, you know, physics degrees and experience. And yeah, they were the guys that ran all the equipment, and they were in the, the actual boat covered by you know obviously the steel. And so they were protected. They were running the uh, generator, all the tubes that was internal. They weren't on the outside with all the, the radars and, and the satellites and the coils doing all the electromagnetic uh, stuff. So just kind of give a background why they didn't get messed up. And um, what had happened is it got out of control. When it, when it warped, it stayed, uh, you know, invisible. Yeah, right? it, it, it went to this like space warp area, like in the middle of just, well, it, pocket, went into a, it went into a time warp. A pocket dimension. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I watched the final countdown last night, 1980 film that's based on the Philadelphia Experiment. That's a pretty good show. I hated the ending. It was such a letdown. Uh, so if anybody wants to fi- watch the final countdown, I think it has a guy. I, I forget who was in it. I just watched it last night, too. I forget their names, but pretty good movie. That's about a ship that goes back to uh, <laughs> get a little sidetracked here. Uh, goes and they have a chance to literally shoot down the Japanese as they go across the for Pearl Harbor. They get, ah. they get they get sent back in time to that time. So um, yeah. So it talks about. Oh, I was just so much. What what's the next part? So so we talked about uh, they had frequency uh, generators on on the ship. Right. Right. And then they they also had coils. Tesla coils, yes. Uh, and this was to 
bend the radar around the ship so that German mines in the ocean, in the Atlantic, uh, wouldn't detect them. Right. Yeah. Let me call Al Bill real quick. He can explain it. Yeah. Oh, no. If you, so if you, the way it worked, he was on Art Bill. He's like, it sounds like he's so bored with explaining what happened. Like, come on, man! Like, uh, like Art Bell is like so excited. He's like, "Holy mackerel! What a great story!" And then Al looks like, "Yeah." And then uh, we landed in 1983, and I got off the boat. <laughs> he's like, "You're doing a good job. You're doing a great job." He's like, "All right, it's so like, get this guy uh, some yeah, drugs." He didn't even accept the, uh, <laughs> the compliments. <laughs> Bring yeah, him a really tray of drugs. I really encourage anybody who's in the, the mechanics of this. It really is legit when you're reading it it's hard for us i mean none of us have a degree in, in electromagnetics or what do they call it uh there's a um there's a, there's a word for it, a metaphysics but um the way it worked is they had these different uh coils that were pulsing in different phases so that it created like a circle uh phase around the boat and ultimately it even captured uh just the boat and uh, so it made like a shield. So all the boats that were around it could look at the actual ship, the USS Eldridge, and they would see a fog at first. Like it's kind of fading out, right? And then it faded out. And Al Bielik goes into talking about, or Duncan goes into talking about how it was, you couldn't see past this fog and everything was disoriented. And you couldn't, it was just like your head was hurting and you were just messed up. You, it was hard to walk. And that's, Everybody and that's, and that's, and that's that. yeah, and that's when his brother was like, the cops are here. They're coming in. <laughs> oh, sorry, had to add that one in. Let's <laughs> see here. How dare uh, you give me flashbacks? <laughs> I want to go into, uh, so uh, Drew, I'm going to find a good spot to get Yeah, in. let me, let me give a, another kind of summary of, of what happened. Cause I'm not sure if this was uh, mentioned in, the summary out of the Montauk book. So essentially what happened is 1943, middle of world war two, they go into this time warp, Al and his brother, um, after surviving it, they, they find themselves like in this desert, they're on land and a helicopter comes flying. That's how they're discovered. They're like in this barren desert somewhere. I don't know where, where it was, if he ever said, but, uh, this helicopter comes over and tries to find them and they're freaked out because you know, those, those type of helicopters didn't exist back in 43. Hey, can, can I, hold hold your thought. Mm-hmm. Where they were was the Montauk project. Oh. That's where they went. Because remember, uh, the last episode we did on the Montauk project, they were sent to the Montauk project. Which the is movie, the 80s. If you've seen the movie, it throws you off because they, they're in like a random military base, you know, in Nevada. Right. And and then he runs off and runs away from these, you know, captures. So the actual real story is they ended up at Montauk because in the future Montauk was using Duncan Albelic as a, as a time, like he was the psychic that could go back and, and literally and get kind of spoiler destroy the generators and the tubes on the ship to stop the, uh, the time warp. Spoiler. It was getting out of hand. I don't so even know her. listen to the Montauk. That'll make more sense once you uh, read it or, or listen to our episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's where he ended up was the Montauk project which was um new york state uh the extreme uh, extreme east end of long island yeah so he was there and it's all connected it wasn't there randomly yeah and then he stayed to work on the montauk project Mm -hmm. yeah didn't didn't some of the research uh from the rainbow project spill over into the manhattan yes Uh, yes yeah, so uh, the uh, I had it right here. I'm gonna actually go into that. So Vaughn, hang with us here. Uh, here we go. All right. So when they did the experiment and the people on board were disoriented, mentally unfit, into the bulkhead, messed up. You know, people died. Uh, basically, they scrapped the whole Rainbow Project together. Cause they were like, we, you know, in Tesla, even when he was involved at the very get go, when they did tests back in the thirties, uh, he was, he was brought on to design these coils and he did, 
and he knew that there there was not enough research being done like he knew it could could be done and he knew the fatalities that would happen because of it and there was uh there were deadlines given and so basically what he did is he he botched one of the projects and uh purposely um he left the generator out of phase or something he purposely didn't do it so they would botch it then he left and then they brought on dr john von newman who headed the project and brought it back and von newman realized what tesla did in terms of made he just made the corrections and he added al Bilic was talking about that he added like a different shape like you know whatever radar on top that would help the and he goes into all the details about it so he heads that and once dr john von newman sent that boat in a time warp and all this shit happened and people died and you had people in different centuries, uh, ironically, you know, 40 years down the road, which we'll even uh, get into that. Dr. Vaughn Newman decided to scrap it. It was all, it was all done. The rainbow project was done because the fatalities, they couldn't control the power that was being generated because the boat's power, they couldn't cut off like they were trying to. So they just, it's basically just got overwhelming for them and they, and they cut it off. And then Dr. Vaughn Newman use the same type of, uh, and the, yeah, so he went on to do the, um, son of a bitch. I had it right here. I love the talk. Let's see here. It's not so easy, is it? <laughs> well, I'm using half my screen. <laughs> I'm glad well, no fix, right? always little space with Peter's laughing. So. Cue, cue the DeSantis laugh. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, Dr. Vaughn, who headed the project, was now summoned to work on the Manhattan Project when he left Rainbow Project because of the catastrophe. And he was summoned to work on the Manhattan Project. This concerned the making of uh, this, yeah, this concerned the making of the atomic bomb, which became the weapon of choice for ending the World War II. The Rainbow Project was the first attempt to for technology to end the war. When they left that, they ended up making the atomic bomb. They're like, fuck, wow. we'll just blast everybody. We don't care. So- so that means that's implied that if uh, if they were experimenting with uh, time and pocket dimensions, accessing them, maybe they were trying to figure out how to go back and end the war by, you know, changing the past. Yeah. Uh, but it does seem more feasible to just create a big ass bomb. So which you just described like the movie uh, that was on here, the Final Countdown. Exactly mm-hmm. that they had the chance to change Pearl Harbor. And they did, yeah. obviously. And the you know we were at a race with the Germans. Our technology was at a point, and then their technology got a little better, and then we had to improve. And it was it was kind of a technological race. So everybody was doing all kinds of experimental shit, especially the the Germans. Mm-hmm. They were exploring, uh, re- you know, sites of religious relics and the poles, yeah, and all kinds of shit. So there's there's so much that our own government has withheld, you know, uh, for the normies, uh, you know, for the uh, the you know the, the secrets of defense. Like I got to keep things secret. Uh, for you know, for the good of civilization, but uh, we were we were at such a a race that the Germans they just they just kept expanding and expanding, and then we had to escalate to developing that bomb, and and of course we had to use Germans to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say. Then we win the war, and guess what? They come over here and found NASA. Found NASA, yeah. So. And Disney, essentially. Essentially. I mean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry let's go to that right now. Um, <laughs> Target's fucked. So somebody said, uh, or M. Leninger said, so poor guy was in one experimental project just to end up with another experimental project. Not necessarily. The Montauk, our previous episode, is what ended up, he worked on that as well. Um, that was... 40 years later, so the Rainbow Project was scrapped. They used the same technology because, remember, those guys that were on the boat time warped. 40 years later, they worked on the Montauk Project, which is a right. whole different whole different ballgame. So they used the same strategy at a different year, different time, and uh, 
experimented with it then. But back in the in the uh, the forties, yeah, they scrapped it and decided to just go a different route. But it reappeared as the Montauk. Can I go into uh, you? You said it was forty years later. Can I go uh, go into that? No, you may not. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, <go ahead. laughs> all right. So um, on the Tubi presentation that Al Bielik did, he explained that the Earth has biorhythms every twenty years on specific dates. Um, in this case, and I think it was, I think he said it was extraterrestrials that, you know, hipped him up to that. This story's crazy. Anyway, um, that's why on August, the, the date was August 12th. He said, give or take a day. Cause our, you know, the Gregorian calendar is not always accurate within a day or two. So generally it's, it's August 12th, 1943. That was the day of the experiment. Uh, when all the shit happened in the Montauk project, it was August 12th, 1983. So uh, before I get into that, this is uh, I took some pictures of some of the stuff from his presentation. So he's trying to basically explain how how they did this. So if you uh, also we're, we're on we're on Spotify, our video is on Spotify. So if you're listening to this on any other podcast, if you have Spotify, uh, please listen or watch on Spotify so you can see uh, what we're looking at and trying to go over. So you see how he's got uh, he's got one, two, three right here. Mm-hmm. So these are basically the dimensions. Uh, mm-hmm. This this one, two, and three represents our three dimensional world. Okay. So this dotted line right here represents the fourth dimension. And okay. I think I can't remember what that would represent, but then the offshoot of the fourth is five, which is uh, time. Oh, interesting. That's okay. So this is basically the circle, which looks like a booby. This circle with a little hole in it represents our time. I, I cannot remember the specific term he used. Time frame, I guess. Um, this represents ours, and this represents the the time space, the, the space warping, whatever you call it. Okay. So you have to line our time up. With oh this, shit! Okay. At a certain degree to for invisibility. Oh so let me, shit! Let me see if I can zoom in a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's, really that's um, that was done. It's called the Hilbert space, I believe. Uh, maybe it's very pixelated, so you can't really see it. But so anyway, if you if you see these dotted lines right here, mm-hmm. this is representing a ninety degree angle. He says right. if, you, if you do that, it's not going to be invisible. Okay. Um, if you do it at about 45 degree angle, it'll be invisible, uh, on radar, but not optically. So they figured out the exact point was at about 60 degrees, which is right here. So that Mm -hmm. means electromagnetism based on these, these specific calculations can also bend light. I think, I think that's how invisibility works is that light has to Mm -hmm. bend around what is being hidden. Mm-hmm. it's almost like that was the original concept to bend the light and then it took a different turn right so if you do it at 60 degrees right here it becomes uh, radar invisible as well as optically invisible and this is done with electromagnetism yes with ti- uh, radio frequency I can't remember what they were saying uh, he did mention you know like we've mentioned several times he mentioned that uh, f- the frequencies needed to alter the human body is below 30 hertz. I cannot remember the, the radio frequencies used for this. I can't remember. It was very um, low. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. it was basically, um, in a nutshell, I don't really understand all this, but that's kind of essentially how we did it. I would definitely recommend watching his documentary. He goes into a lot more detail uh, as he yeah, draws this, out. This, this doesn't seem like just some pseudoscience shit. Mm-hmm. This seems, this seems pretty specific. Right. So to continue with what, go ahead, Lance. I saw you breathe. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. So, this, as I mentioned a minute ago, the Earth has uh, biorhythms every 20 years, which is represented right. by which is represented by these waves right here. Okay. So that's that's when, 83, 2003. Yep. yep. So it's every 20 years, um, and obviously that's. Uh, and right here it says 12 August, August 12th. So that's when the biorhythms are going to be at their peak, which is why they were able to do the experiments because both experiments were going on on August 12th, 
of those respective years, 43 and 83. Interesting. There was nothing going on. In, there was no experiments or anything trying to do all that in 63. That's why nothing happened in 63. All this happened in 43 and 83. Okay. So if you scroll down here a little bit, he mentions uh, it's basically like a sine wave. A full, a full cycle is 40 years. Interesting. 40 is a recurring number in the Bible. Right. So, hmm. and here's another thing that he goes into. He said, when you start messing with shit like this, man, I wish I could remember the terms. I should have wrote these down. But you see these other dotted lines in front of and behind? Yeah. That's when you start messing with time, with forward and backward um, time spaces. I can't remember what he said. So, remember. Fluctuation? Yeah, pretty much. So right here in 63, you can see that the, the main one, the main line, the main sine wave is right in the middle. Right. So when this front one and this back one come in contact with each other, it's a catastrophe. Meaning then, what? Uh, like, he said... Like, like the Ghostbusters crossing the streams? Like, like physical catastrophe, like the world blows up and like... Oh, okay, then yes. Crazy, yeah. And that's where they were. Um you know, they were going back and forth between 43 and 83. And he mentioned part of his uh, objective was to go back to 63 to, to dampen it. I don't know what he means by damping it. That's unfamiliar with any of that. Maybe that means to bring that, that dotted line that's ahead of the main line back to the main line. Right. I don't know. Possibly. So that's what they had to avoid was the with this, this front and back time space or whatever it was called coming into contact with each other because he was saying what they were trying to avoid was the earth earth's surface would have been ripped five to seven hundred feet deep all the you know all the way from new york to the rocky mountains and you know wow. it, it would have sent the world back into the stone age interesting so i know lance always likes to say you know 2024 is going to be a great year look what's coming next Oh shit! Twenty twenty-three. Oh it's gonna, shit! It's going to be on the fortieth year, so the sine wave is once again completing a cycle. And things can't be more crazy than they are right now. That's right. So mark your calendars for August twelfth, twenty twenty-three. Oh shit! It's not happened yet. Damn. All right, that's yeah. getting good. So, so yeah, that's all I had to say on that part. Um, it's very, very technical. Again, um. I mean, he goes into the math behind it, all this shit, and literally draws it out. You know, so it's kind of a little bit easier to understand, but at the same time, it's like, man, that's a lot of shit. I wonder if there's any parallel with this stuff and the episode that we did with all of the Bermuda Triangles of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he actually mentioned on the, uh, I think it was Art Bell's episode, I can't remember. He did mention, uh, he, he talked very briefly about the Bermuda Triangle and the other, you know, vile vortices that we talked about. So, uh, so maybe not only is there a, a time to do this stuff, but also a place. Yeah, I think he was under the, either he or who he kind of researched about that were, were under the impression that that was a more physical phenomenon rather than, you know, altering time and, and time travel and stuff like that. Right, right. But yeah, Very this is fascinating. Um, yeah, this this is crazy too. You know, they had to lock up both time frames exactly for that to happen. So you got one dimension, two dimension, three dimension, and it looks like the line for the fourth dimension is obviously parallel or it connects to the second dimension line. I wonder I wonder what the significance of that is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what that means, but he I remember him saying this represents our three-dimensional world. So I don't know what the second dimension would be and why he drew it specifically like this. I'm sure there's a reason like you said. Well, I guess uh I mean to view something in two dimensions would be like looking at a flat picture of something being portrayed realistically a and flat then, earth. <laughs> right? And then the third dimension is like you know, instead of looking at a 2D picture of an apple, you're looking at an actual apple. Right. And then I've heard, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard the, uh, the, the fourth dimension, uh, I've, I've always thought of the fourth dimension as time, but this is interesting that five is a spinoff of uh, the fourth dimension. But Dude, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's a kid that there was a video years ago. He was like a young guy and he went over like, he was like 12 
and was going over all these different dimensions. And he said, and it's funny to even say what he was saying is he was 12 years old. It's going over different dimensions. Um, he said that the fifth uh, dimension would be time. Everybody perceives the fourth as being time, but fourth is just, uh, what's that called? It's, it's a, uh, forget it's a, it's a different shape. It's like if you put cubes together and triangles together and put them. Oh, you're talking together. about like, you're talking about like fractals. Yes. Yes. Okay. And you can't even put it on paper because we're still looking at it, you know, 2d on paper. So there's no way to really see it or describe it or even fathom it because it's four dimension. That, but, that reminds me, we need to do an episode on the Mandelbrot set, which is a, a mathematical equation that they were able to plot on a 2d plane in the 1970s. And uh, a lot of people are uh, speculating that the uh, the patterns that are made, the fractal patterns, and how they repeat into infinity, uh, is is sort of the it's like the code of our reality. Uh, we're kind of like tapping into a little bit of that with uh, mathematics because you plug one number in, and a different number comes out, and then you plot those two numbers on a two D plane, but you know, it, it was so complicated that people couldn't really tell that there was a pattern. But then when a supercomputer did it, it made these incredible, beautiful, the most beautiful patterns you'll ever see. And then when you zoom into the, the fractal edges of it, it looks like little roots or, you know what I mean? And when you zoom in on that, if you keep zooming in, you'll eventually see the mother's shape uh, with a slight variation. I remember you sent that. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah. that. And uh, what what yeah. that what that essentially describes about our reality is uh, essentially like how everything lives and dies. Reproduction. An oak tree is an oak tree, but it's never the same oak tree. You know what I mean? So that makes sense. Yeah. So in this book, and I keep referring to it, it's like ninety pages of just awesomeness. Uh, it goes over the way Einstein was describing time as it's a constant. It it turns. It's a loop. It's it's a circled loop with all these different loops within it and all these different times within it. But it, it's a, it's a very large curvature, which eventually if it comes out from your chest, eventually it would hit your back over a very long time. Like it's a, it's a repeating time loop. So it's not, time is not infinite. If that makes, and I thought that kind of blew my mind, which is pretty cool. And even that 12 year old kid said in his video, He's like, everybody perceives time as, as an ongoing thing. It's not infinite. It, it will circle around. It has to. But, I mean, it's just like. So it doesn't end. It, just, it just circles around. It circles Which around is, over a very long what, time. So that's what, why you can have parallel universes doing different things. You can time hop. You can jump on one side. It eventually comes back around. Right. Uh, and we're starting to get into the nature of consciousness. And, you know, well, all conversations for me eventually circle back to simulation theory. But uh, that's a that's a bigger topic. But uh, the possibility. See, I still struggle with the idea of time travel. I don't know about you. Too. Gentlemen. Yeah, I do. Too. I, 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 I struggle, struggle with, with it. It just seems so unfathomable. But then you hear stories like this that kind of make you question it a little bit. And I think uh, one, one thing to kind of consider when talking about time travel and all that stuff is that's what makes it so weird is that we assume our reality is real. You know what I mean? So if we assume our reality is real, it, it seems unrealistic to go back or go forward. Mm -hmm. But if our reality isn't based, like Elon Musk said, maybe it is possible to jump around, you know, if, mm -hmm. if it's like, if it's like a, if it's like a computer game, mm -hmm. if it's like Grand Theft Auto five, maybe you can jump ahead, jump back. Well, like and, we did the episode on, on the, uh, the, the chrono visor. Right. You know, there's, That's, I was thinking about that this whole time. There's uh white noise in the area, in the air and it captures time and it captures, um, you know, all the events that happen on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you capture that white noise, know how to use those frequencies, you can visualize just like we can see a TV from antennas and it converts that signal into a, a you know, a picture, same thing with right. time. Right. Uh, and I didn't want to cut you off. I want to let you finish. And I was going to take a different turn on this. Oh, uh, continue, please. So uh, one cool <laughs> thing about this book, like I was saying with, with Tesla was involved 
he he was frightened by he he knew there would be fatalities he didn't want to be dealing with it he said he had better shit to do um you know it's also interesting is um at the end of tesla's and and this was uh al bielik going into this he he was saying this on coast to coast which was very interesting at the end of tesla's career and his and before his death everybody assumed he was kind of like a hermit just kind of in his you know house and kind of keep it to himself for like 12 years, but he went on to do many things. But what actually killed Tesla's credibility is he started mentioning UFOs. He started mentioning that he had uh, different things that he could pick up when Mars was closer to, uh, to earth. And, um, and all, and that was pretty interesting. So the fact that Tesla was helping with this experiment before he left, obviously, um, he, so this goes on to say they needed more time. They were given a deadline and Al Bielik said for, he didn't understand why they gave this deadline, but they were so fa- just trying to get over the war that August 12th, 1943, they had to have this experiment done, had to be done. So they, so whether it was ready or not, that was, that was the deadline. Otherwise it would be scrapped. So the orders came from the chief of Naval operations. And he said he was only concerned with the war, trying to avoid damage to individuals involved Von Neumann tried to modify the equipment so that only radar and visibility would be achieved, not literally, not literal sight and visibility. Try to calm it down a little bit. So back to my Tesla uh, remark. Six days before the final test on the Eldridge, three UFOs appeared above the ship. The switch was thrown for the final test on August 12th, 1943. Two of the UFOs left the area. One was sucked into the hyperspace and ended up in the underground facility at Montauk 40 years later. Um, Hyperspace was the word I was looking for earlier, by the way. Uh Glad I found it for you, buddy. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Reports from Duncan indicated that he and his brother knew things were going wrong with the August 12th. And that goes in in the movie. If they knew something was going on, it was going crazy. However, for three to six minutes, things looked good. It appeared it might work without any devastating effects. They could see the outline of the ship, but everything else was gone. There were problems. Um, the UFO deal, and it kind of came to say after the fact that the principal radio mast and the transmitter were broken, and that's why it went haywire. Uh, people were jammed in the bulkheads, and others were walking around in the same state. I just thought it was very interesting that Tesla's career ended with him coming out about Mars and UFOs and the contacts he made with UFOs with his experiments in his own time and his own labs. Mm-hmm. And people thought he was crazy. And then this happened. So originally I was talking with, with, with Philadelphia and, and y'all earlier is like, Oh, the UFO stuff really throws me off. It's like, Oh my gosh, they had to throw UFOs in there. But I mean, you know, it could be coincidence or it could, it's pretty interesting. Tesla was involved. Electricity was involved. It says UFOs show up. Tesla's career ended with UFOs. I can't get around that that coincidence. Well, I think UFOs are extra dimensional. Obviously, I think they're not from space. They're not from some far corner of a universe or another universe. Uh, they're here already, and occasionally we kind of see something, and it's unexplainable. But that's because it exists beyond our Uh, our capability of thinking. And I think all the experiments that Tesla did, he he became more and more aware of the unseen and was coming up with ways to communicate with the unseen and view it. And obviously that was a huge uh, interest of the military as well. And, you know, he was eventually smeared into uh, obscurity uh, but you know, remember how his, his death ray was missing and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, he was robbed his whole life mm-hmm. and, uh, what they were trying to, what, what the powers that be were trying to do around him was take his ideas, but then spin it around to the public that energy isn't free. Energy is finite and, uh, you, you have to pay for it. Uh, through our services as we do smeared tesla throughout his whole career who was it that literally took a dog out in the town square and used um alternating current yeah edison yeah yeah they like killed elephants yeah just to prove the 
everybody that Tesla Tesla's ideas would, would could kill people. And it's like right. Yeah, it was, it was just like the smear campaigns that we see in the media today, except they didn't have the lightning speed of the internet to you know make me make people dumb twenty four seven. But you know, Tesla was on the verge of discovering free energy for everybody, wireless electricity, and we can't have that stuff. We gotta have this money machine going. We gotta we gotta have the wage slave system going. You gotta have the complex. Yeah, we gotta we gotta make products and you know and enjoy products that slowly kill us. I had a buddy uh, send me a article, uh, an article today when I was talking to him about uh, Tesla the cars, you know, because that's the guy that I you know was able to test drive one, and um, he sent me an article and apparently they have a square. It's like maybe six inches by six inches that could literally power a car. There's probably a hundred of those squares, but the idea was it's like a simple 15 minute interchangeable battery that could, that could uh, power a car for a thousand miles. And it's like the new wave and it's supposed to be coming out, you know, like it's going to be a whole game changer, just like, you know, the EV car was when it came out with batteries. And the only thing I could think of was there's no way that's going to be backed. Like it's backed by all these, you know, billionaires, but at the same time, there's no way that that's going to be anytime soon. I mean, we're talking because they're going to have that capture on all these EVs, all the lithium batteries and uh, all the money that's being made. Just like you're saying, it's just, it's all, there's no way new technology is going to take over because they're going to keep it, um, you know, right out there. And, you know, this whole conversation is about the possibility of dimensional jumping if we think about an AI that becomes self-aware, it exists in a different dimension than us. We can agree on that. What if its, it's, uh, its desire is to somehow transcend that dimension through us? You see what I'm getting at here? And, uh, you know, a uh, little current event uh, thing here, but they're about to, the FDA is about to, or they did approve Neuralink for a uh, study on humans. Is that true? I, I think I saw that. I think I saw that in the news this week. Yeah, yeah I heard but, about it. But that stuff, that stuff is like right around the corner for us. Like we're about to start hearing about it in the news and how it's doing wonders for, you know, paraplegics, quadriplegics and uh, stroke victims and whatnot. We're going to hear nothing but good things, but and, you know, this is this is part of a bigger topic that I want to cover in an episode. Like, I, I, I think the reins of our reality have been seized by an AI. An AI is making all the decisions. And wouldn't it be crazy if the AI was making decisions for itself, reduce the population of humans, and then push the Neuralink human consciousness software crossover so it can live in another dimension? Does that make sense? I'm bit. on one tonight. I'm on one tonight. But <laughs> going. I, I I just think going that sliding. I I think that everything is is being pushed along, and I don't think humans are at the helm of of any of the decision making in in our reality at this point. Maybe. But that's just me. That's just me. Hmm. All right. Well, the Philadelphia experiment. Uh... Right. Sorry, that little rant there. Well, we, we talked about side tunnels, didn't we? Artificial reality. Like we were talking about the time warps and how there were side tunnels, those side warps. That was mentioned like a minute ago, and I was just going to finish up with the uh, how you were saying that the aliens, which is crazy to get into because, I mean, this is where it just like ugh, probably is just 100% not real. But a group of aliens revealed themselves. This is during the um, during the whole episode. Apparently, the side tunnel was an artificial reality created by the aliens. They wanted a piece of the equipment before they would let their captive go. That was the one at, at Montauk. Um, this equipment was a very sensitive instrument that changed the crystal drive to the UFO that was underground at Montauk. The aliens didn't seem to mind. Uh, the aliens didn't seem to mind leaving a ship, but they were very intent on keeping the drive source of mystery to humans. Um, so that might be confusing at this point because I'm wrapping it back around. But we we mentioned that like there was a time warp, and they ended up somewhere else. An alien was sucked in. 
you know, and you said that they were, that you believe aliens could be from a different dimension. They're not on the other side of the moon. Right. Um, that goes in with the, they can artificially recreate reality through side tunnels. And that was uh, seen by, I think it was Duncan or Edward. And so back in Montauk, they knew about this. They said, don't go, if you can keep from it, don't go in any of the side tunnels. When you were trying to uh, uh, time travel in the chair, remember our Montauk experience last episode? Right. So you see when when you're doing time travel, don't go on those side tunnels. Stay focused. Mm. Uh, because they were very influential to UFOs and they could sense or capture somehow any kind of power that's being done like that in a dimensional space. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of the end of it and the UFOs come in at the end. I think they put it there. So like not the, you know, they just knew people would probably phase out and go to sleep and you start talking about UFOs, but right, right. there's a lot to it. But see now UFOs are all up in the news all the time. Yeah, I meant to bring that up on the uh current events. NASA just had a UFO uh meeting story, or whatever. Man. Like last week or earlier this week or whatever, but yeah. nothing really came what up. What was that? I I think I you don't remember what that was? We still don't know what they shot down. Yeah. Uh w- during the whole balloon fiasco. Um, and we'll never know, and nobody cares. We'll know. We'll know in seventy years. It's just outrageous, man. Like, why? Why aren't we all in the streets demanding answers from people in charge? Because like, we're focused on Ukraine and and all oh the Biden stuff that's going on with Ukraine yeah. and how oh. many MLB is a month in. What are you talking about? Oh my god! How so, many? Um. So yeah, let's uh. Let's close this out with some thoughts about the Philadelphia experiment. Peter, do you believe that they made a full Navy ship invisible? The couple of survivors ended up in 1983 at the Montauk project. They were sent back in time to back in 63 to, to dampen it and, and to destroy the, the generators and stuff like that to end the experiment. Do you believe all that happened or no? Um, I'm actually going to give this a fairly high percentage. I think I want to give it, 60%. Now, them trying to bend radar and all that, that's definitely real. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. real. And who knows when you start doing that kind of stuff, like doing those types of experiments, what's going to happen? You know, because it's such a, it's, it's like new territory. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's I think it's plausible. There's a there's enough about this story that that's too intricate and too coincidental uh, that it, it seems it seems fairly plausible to me. Over fifty percent plausible. Nice. What do you think? What do you think? I'll be licked. Yeah. So going on what Joe Slide was talking about, sixty percent. There's some plausibility to it. Uh, so at the very beginning of the book. And I suggest before you go watch the movie, please read the book because the movie will throw you off. It's it's so mind twisting in a different direction for the probably viewer. just like our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, like there's, there's so structure. much shit. So, yeah. um, but I want to read. All right, so there's soft facts, gray facts, and there's hard facts. The hard fact is the experiment did happen. That's without uh, that's without any debate. There was right. a, a rainbow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was the rainbow project there was a philadelphia experiment that's recorded in terms right. of being the fact now there's soft facts and gray facts so in the very beginning of the book it says to the reader um some of the data some of the data you read in the book could be considered as soft facts soft facts are not untrue they're just not backed by irrefutable documentation a hard fact would be documentation of hard physical evidence that could stand right. up to scrutiny by the nature of the subject matter, scrutiny, considerations, hard facts about the Montauk project have been very difficult to obtain. And then there's gray facts. So he says, and I'll, I'll finish it up. Um, he said, this book is not a, uh, not meant to prove anything. Um, and he even says at some point that, you know, it could be taken as a fictional book, but it's written as nonfiction because he's telling his story 
and backing it up with gray facts, soft facts, stuff that has been so secretly tied up, he can't get actual proof other than what he experimented with and what he did. So um, with all the diagrams, and he goes into like literally backing up, giving the link to their radio amateurs handybook so that you could learn how to read these diagrams. Um, I'm going to, I'm like with you, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a 60% and the 40%, I don't believe in is probably all the hypothetical UFO, um, you know, the back and forth with bond talk and that can get a little sticky. Uh, but I think there was some shit that happened and, um, you know, and who knows all the people that involved, you know, everybody could be paid off to come up with a story and come out with a book come out and and further and further dilute the truth uh to divert from you know they actually did something and some weird shit happened Mm -hmm. so something something is truthful about this it's just uh it's it's up to the researcher you know just like anything put it together and see what you can come up with and decide for yourself Mm -hmm. um but there's there's a lot of a lot of math involved a lot, um, a lot of math, and, a lot of physics, and uh, you know, I'm I'm no uh, expert in anything remotely, you know, related to this. But you know, I'm I'm, cer- I'm certainly you know familiar with math. I come from a you know. You didn't a, take a, eighth grade metaphysics back in high school. I, I was very academic in high school and college, and specifically in math. And uh, you know, this kind of stuff makes me raise an eyebrow. It does. It does. Yeah, because um, it's like if they. Think about to our coronavirus episode. I was leaning a lot towards they actually invented something like that because you have this microphone which is catching the voice in real time. They had to create that your voice goes somewhere, right? All you got to do is create a receiver to receive it, right? What are you laughing at, Lance? That reminds me of that that uh the comedian that you sent me. It's like if I went back in time, I'd be uh, like, dude, there, there's microphones <laughs> that you speak into. You know, how does that work? Well, I, I don't really know. Uh, and then there's phones that you can put in your pocket. Oh shit! How'd they do that? Right. I wish hey, yeah, I brought that. Hey, up. <laughs> hey Lance. Hey Lance. It looks like you have a dangling earring. Wait, move your head back a little bit. Wait. There it oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought you had a dangling earring for a second. Peter can point out those dangling things. <laughs> <laughs> you got an earring for the month. Did the dangling earring. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, right. that's all I could think about when you were talking about the. Uh, Project Rainbow. No. <laughs> like with no, the like, microphone. Like, how does that work? Ah, <laughs> no, the 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 math uh, seems convincing. You know, from from just looking at it, um, and uh, who knows? But something's yeah. weird about the story, and obviously, they're tr- they've tried to do experiments to to Absolutely. bend radar, to bend light. Who knows what they can do, and who knows if this story is a poisoning of the well thing to just divert attention yeah. from the fact that they actually did this shit. Yeah, and I, you know, like I said, I do recommend listening to the Coast to Coast episode with Art Bell, the, the interview he did with Al Bill, because the uh, second half of the show they did callers, and there were a few callers that were um, not so impressed and, and were giving it to him, asking him questions, um, you know, challenging him on some certain things and stuff like that. So it's not a very, you know, it's not a very believable thing, but man, just the way he comes across and and literally draws it out, man, I'm I'm, I'm with y'all. I'm I'm in the upwards of sixty something percent on this one. Now, that's what was so great about Coast to Coast growing up is that people would get on there and talk about the craziest stuff that you wouldn't hear on anything. It was great, yep. and that was also the worst part. Well, yes, there, there would be callers <laughs> that would call in and be like, "Oh yeah, they." Uh, Anal probe, you know, like they'll say they'll say crazy stuff. I was talking to my father-in-law and, about it. He's like, "Yeah, because yeah, he used to listen to it back in the day." And it was like, uh, "Did you really he well. listen to it late at night?" And uh, somebody calling, "I was raped by aliens last night." And, and they're like, "Oh, really, Peter? You never told us when you called in. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the deets. They were extra-dimensional." <laughs> They got in my third dimension. Instead of just like, you know, um, filtering, there was no filter. And that's the part uh, with Coast to Coast that I just cannot stand is there's no there's no uh, call filter. It's just let anybody double, through. Double-edged sword. They yeah. violated my pocket dimension. 
whatever Mel's hole. Hey, Art, I we're 22 minutes. That, that uh, fairy thing we were talking about last week. Well, we're talking about Mel's hole tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think about Mel's hole? <laughs> For anybody listening, go back and listen to Mel's hole episode. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to yeah. redo that one. Lance is going to finally go through the full episode. Yeah. Final <laughs> thoughts, Philadelphia. What you think? Yeah, I'm, I said I'm with y'all upwards of sixty something percent because I like I kind of related to the chronovisor. Like all you got to do is create a receiver to receive these frequencies to you know whatever whatever frequency they may be. So right, you just yeah, dial and, into it. And you know the military and our government, you know, have for sure hundred percent run tests on invisibility, whether it be radar or optically. Now whether or not they went into the future and they were stuck in this. Uh, uh, what did you, what was the word? I, I, you found Hi, hyperspace. Hyperspace. They were stuck in this yeah. hyperspace, and and keep in mind, they they got shot to 1983. Went back to 43. You know, all this stuff happened, and when they when the ship finally came back into optical view, only like 25 to 30 minutes had passed in in, in our time frame. Okay, I was wondering mm. that about the story because yeah. like, oh, it instantly appeared in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, it appeared there for a little bit. They found it on radar there, and then it jumped back. Mm-hmm. And so is that ironclad proven? Well, I think it's one of those gray facts that um, it, it was done, but it's also covered up. I mean, you know, if it was a hundred percent, there were hard facts and all this, it would be in history books, right? You know, and it it's, it's simply not uh, for various reasons. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so like span of all that happening, the ship, because like Lance said, there were other ships around. They saw it go away and then they saw it come back and it was within, you know, under 30 minutes, all this shit happened. Something happened. But and and Duncan, whatever, you know, they went 40 years into the future. Then they had to go back to 63 to, you know, dampen the frequencies or whatever they were doing in the, you know, time. The the generator, the boat was an anchor of energy. Yeah. Yeah, they had to go. Yeah, they had to go take care of it. You know? So when he when he went to the future, he worked on the Montauk project, and then they had a catastrophe, and then he had to go back to the ship because they were linked. If you if you read the book, everything comes back to an anchor in time, so yeah. you can't get rid of that anchor. So if you're working with the same technology, the same concepts, with the same people, with the same uh, interlocking with their with their because it's all about the the human that's actually interacting. The ship was the time lock for the power. And to cut the power at Montauk, they had to go back and and kill the uh, generators on the boat, which they did, which brought the boat back 40 years earlier. Yep. And, um, and yeah, it's like watch Back to the Future. But I cannot in- just say it enough. Read this 90-page deal. It's like 74 pages, really, the story. The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time. We'll put the link on whatever we can if you want to. Uh, it's, it's worth the read, if not just for pure entertainment. Sounds yeah. like a Christopher Nolan movie. Speaking of, if y'all like time movies, uh, for anybody listening that hasn't seen it, Christopher Nolan did a movie a while back called Tenet, T-E-N-N-E-T. And I watched it once, and it blew my mind, and I'm going to have to watch it like 10 times in order to figure out what happened in it. But it was about time travel, and uh, certain objects or people that cross over into this time, but they're moving backwards through it. It's really good. Everybody should check it out. Christopher Nolan is like the time movie guy. The time guy. Yeah. yeah. And he even goes to say, when you jump time, you either exceed in your age or you you're exactly the same speed of age or you decline in your age. So you, you don't age as quickly. And in their case, uh, they were aging quickly. And so I had to jump back and yeah, Damn. awesome, awesome story. Yep. Well, everybody set your calendars. Like I said, for August 12th, 2023, it's going to complete the 40 year cycle. The 20 year biorhythm is going to be at its peak. Um, so let's see if some shit happens. Let's see if, uh, the entire tectonic plate of the North American continent gets, you know, <laughs> wiped off the face of the earth. If that's the case, you, you heard it here first. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll get a sponsor. <laughs> manscape that's what yeah. i want end of the world you heard it here first brought to you, you know, by i will sell that shit 
want to buy a pillow? <laughs> <laughs> Put it over your head when the tectonic plate. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, my. That is the Philadelphia experiment. Um, a whole lot of shit. We were all over the place with it, but that's just because there's so much to go into, so much technical stuff uh, back and forth through time, literally. Um, so let us know what you think. Room 2008 ENT at gmail.com. Listen to our, all of our other episodes. Listen to this one. Let us know what you think. Watch the movies. Listen to, uh, listen to the interviews. Watch his presentation. Follow us on Twitter, Room 2008 ENT2. I'll post the link to the book. Um, if I can post Tubi links on there, I will. So y'all can have access to it and, and uh, catch up on everything we've tried to watch throughout the week. And um, final thoughts on anything, current events, Philadelphia, before we sign off. Oh man, I think. Uh, oh, th- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, going what's going on in Ukraine? No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm good. Good brother. Good, good episode. Uh, join us next time. Uh, follow us on Twitter so we can announce. Uh, you'll be there so we can announce the uh, subject we're going to be going into. And with that said, Room 2008's out. Peace.